Hello and welcome to the third episode of Track Chat with Beth and Andrew. Today we'll be looking at some of the big topics from Baku before diving into our thoughts on the increasing number of street circuits in F1. We're going to have a look ahead to round five in Miami as well and give you our opinions on that circuit. But taking a bit of a look back to Baku, we've just had the race weekend, which was the first of five in the space of just six weeks. A lot of pressure on the teams at the moment. We had a big rant about the new sprint format in our previous podcast. And maybe we should take a look at how some of those predictions have held up that we made in the last podcast. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. So we said in the last episode that we thought the sprint would be quite flat, the drivers would lack motivation, and that it wouldn't really increase the need for pushing and to make those overtakes in the way that F1 said it would um and i still think that was the case to be honest with you i don't think that the sprint had the effect that f1 thinks it did and i heard in every interview with almost every driver all the way through the weekend with them saying what's the point in pushing i don't need to try anymore Mm. like i've got a good position i've got my position sorted for sunday this is all just superfluous to the point where Max Verstappen was incredibly angry with George Russell because he made a move on him and potentially damaged his car in a move that Max thought was just totally unnecessary for the race they were in. Yeah. Well, you even had Christian Horner making comment and saying there's a lot, what was it, he said something along the lines of there's a lot to lose and not a lot to gain, which is exactly what we said in the last podcast. And like you say, it just made the drivers very cautious and maybe that's part of the reason why Verstappen was so touchy about that move and it made him so angry. Yeah, I just, I don't really know what the answer is now because I did think that getting rid of FP2 made more sense. It's just so difficult now knowing that Saturday doesn't mean anything. I had friends that are not massive Formula One fans. They're either just getting into it or really just on a sort of casual fan side watching every now and again going what on earth is this what am i watching and what does it mean because they spent so long making everyone say that the sprints weren't a race and then now they are a race but it isn't qualifying or it doesn't act as qualifying and it's just so confusing and jumbled and i don't think it had the effect that they wanted it to i don't think it was a good race well i don't think the sprint race was good I don't think it was what F1 needed, and I think it was, yeah, it's obviously gone against what Formula 1 wanted and their purpose for this revised sprint, so you can only say from that point of view that this new format was sort of a failure. Obviously, there's more later on in the year, so we'll be able to see if it was more track-specific, but if already drivers are saying, I don't really see the point, and they're the ones on track, what else can you do with that? Yeah, I think... The commentary team on the coverage I was watching were already saying there needs to be some changes to this format and they'll probably tweak the amount of points and try and make it more enticing for drivers. But I don't know. We're not F1 experts. We're not part of the FIA and we were able to predict that this would happen and that it would be flat and it wouldn't be motivating for drivers. Um, And that's exactly what happened. And also, there's the point of sprints in general. I think the problem with them is that they are kind of a bit of a, basically they're the first stint of a race. There's no pit, there's no 
kind of strategy there's no intrigue to it so you end up kind of just getting a replay the next day on the sunday you see the kind of first stint from the day before play out again and then it continues from there so it has become this thing now where it's just encased in the weekend it's not relevant to sunday and friday and yeah it just to be honest i'm just going to be bold and say it felt like a massive flop and that they need to massively revise it before the next race or it's just not going to work yeah you said to me last week um that it effectively just rebalanced the grid before the race even started the whole point to me of qualifying like you said last week about Perez making that mistake in Australia and starting from the back of the grid, is qualifying makes drivers push to the limit over one, maybe two laps if they get time. When you remove that and it's just a race, it's more car pace than driver pace and it just rebalances out the grid and I'm pretty sure the top eight cars by the end of the sprint were the top four teams. So you were devoid of any kind of interest and strategy or anything that could have made the other teams maybe hang on to a higher position than they maybe deserved because you just got rid of it in sprint. You just added them. You basically made the normal race a stint longer just over an extra day. Yeah, I think it did uh, in the previous kind of format. It did just rebalance the grid because qualifying would happen and then they'd fight for position and then that's where they'd start on the Sunday but now that's not even the case because Saturday doesn't impact Sunday so now it is just its own event within the weekend and it just doesn't feel relevant to the main event which is the Grand Prix and also to qualifying and also I've seen quite a bit of feedback on Twitter different people saying that now it's like qualifying on the Friday is on during the working day and you know qualifying is a big event people do care about qualifying and want to watch it and I know you could say well different fans around the world the the time zones are always hard to follow and you might be asleep when the race is on or whatever but regardless putting qualifying on a Friday in the day is just a bit of a strange move I, I don't think it's working I think the idea is there to do something a bit different for a few of the race weekends and it could potentially spice some tracks up where there's a bit less action or something like that by having a, a different format but whether it's the sprint format i just don't know because it's not paying off for me at the moment can you tell that i'm still struggling to wrap my head around the whole format of it all because uh, yeah just too many changes in too short a time for me it is very difficult to keep up with and that's coming from a die-hard F1 fan. If I'm really struggling to keep up with it all, completely agree. I feel sorry for anyone who it's a first weekend watching this. A hundred percent. I can't keep up with it. And to be honest, I had to watch the sprint on replay because I was out on Saturday, and I just felt like the next day, if I hadn't have watched the replay and if I hadn't have known what had happened on the Saturday, it really wouldn't have mattered because Friday and Sunday were completely separate. And yeah, the only thing that I gained from watching the sprint was. Oh right, okay. Well, Leclerc's going to be overtaken very fast on race day, um. So it was, it was kind of like a, a just yeah, a glimpse into what was to come on race day. And you actually predicted in the podcast last time that the pole sitter wouldn't bring it home, and that is exactly what happened. And it happened twice exactly. over the same weekend. Both times a driver started in first place, they didn't win the race, and I think maybe well. 
I could, well, like you say, we could see from the sprint race that Leclerc was not going to have the pace or the tyre life to be able to take it to the Red Bulls on the Sunday. Um, it's just a shame that that was left without the imagination on the Sunday. There was no, oh, I really wonder if Leclerc can, you know, really take that step that they've made in qualifying and, and make it work over the whole race. It was, no, it's fine. We know the Red Bulls are going to win. Um, they already won the sprint. It's basically just to see who else comes mm. where. Um, which has already been the case all season. Like we, We've we already known, oh, great, you know, Red Bulls are going to win. They've qualified 1-2. The first time that we had a car that wasn't a Red Bull qualify on pole, and we already knew what the result was going to be because we'd seen it the day before. That brings us on to the last prediction that we made, which was that F1's putting the spectacle first and the sport second. But to be honest, I think that was actually the intention. They were They were aiming for a spectacle with this sprint format, but I actually really don't think it played out that way. Because like you say, we just knew the outcome of the race before it happened. And if anything, for me, the sprint on Saturday sucked the energy out of the Grand Prix on Sunday because I just felt like I knew what was going to happen. And it did happen like that. And I think that Baku is... A, I think we've been very lucky with Baku over the last couple of years. This race was more a 2016 first ever race in Baku where it was too boring and really what spices up in Azerbaijan Grand Prix is safety cars, red flags and things that are out of the driver's control. That's what makes Baku interesting or driver starting out of position. Didn't really get any of that. So yeah, this year for me was not not a favourite. Um, can't say that if it was on the TV I'd watch it again. Probably will forget about it in a couple of races time. It, it happened. I spent a couple of hours of my life watching it. I can't really say it was that Agreed. worth it. It's, it's one to forget for me. And also, I think we definitely have to speak about the Ocon incident in the pit lane right at the end of the race, which was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Ted Kravitz on Sky had know, it predicted, I... you know, like half a lap before it happened. And he was saying, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then lo and behold, it happened. Just after we'd been speaking as well, Andrew, about the track invasion in Australia and these concerns around event safety and that maybe the FIA aren't doing enough. And this is just this just takes the cherry for me. This was um, danger for the absolute stupidest reason, which to me is ignorance, uh, because I could see as a viewer on the other side of the world that Ocon still had the pit. The commentary team could see Ocon still had to pit. Race control obviously knew Ocon still had to pit. Like, is it genuinely a case that no one on the actual track level was watching the race to say, yeah, okay, it's safe to go now? And is there no message from race control to say, okay, we believe it's now safe, all cars have completed their final pit stops or what we assume to be their final pit stops and um, we'll let you know if anything changes instead it seems like the people on the ground are just allowed to effectively make their own decision and say yeah cool it's time now you can come across now i understand why they were there in the first place photographers have to get across the pit lane to get photos of the finish all right but is crossing an active track the best way to do that to me, the answer is no. Also, not only that, like you say, it's just inexcusable for a sport with this much data to hand, this much telemetry, 
how can you get that wrong as the organiser as well? Because this is the FIA's responsibility. They're in charge of those barriers and when they get pulled back and when the photographers are allowed through. So, yeah, it was just, it was terrible watching. Uh, to be honest as well, I, I actually thought it was quite surprising that given that everyone had predicted this was about to happen, that they chose to show it on the live feed. I do think that was a bit out of order because they basically had a commentary team, probably commentary teams all around the world going, oh my God, Ocon's still got a pit and there's people in the pit lane. And then they decide to show the pit lane. I mean, that could have gone so wrong. And they cut to him. They cut to him as he rocked up in the um, pit lane speed limiter zone. And at that point, there were still people in the track. There, there is no way that TV directing team did not look at that and go, he's going to come through there and an accident might happen. And what makes it worse for me is that there were other photographers shouting to the guys in the track saying, get out of the way, there's a car coming at you. And just for anyone that's like not entirely sure about pit lane speeds and stuff and how fast that car was actually going because I totally understand when you watch it on the TV it looks like they're crawling down the pit lane that car was doing 80 kilometers an hour which is roughly 60 miles an hour all right imagine the damage you would do to someone especially that group of people if you hit them at 60 miles an hour that is not just broken bones, that is being thrown by what is effectively, at that speed, quite sharp bits of carbon fibre. Like you say, it does, on the telly, initially, it, it can look slow, but yeah, it's it just a questionable decision by the direction team to show that on the live feed, and obviously, yeah, massively questionable what's going on at the FIA, why they didn't realise there was a live car on track coming in. It's in a sport as well where we've had too many near misses that everyone goes, ha, it's fine, didn't happen, it won't happen again. Or too many times that we've actually crossed the line. For example, the Jules Bianchi crash. That was dangerous and it was predictable that that would happen at some point. You have a recovery truck on track, while cars are going around, there's a high likelihood a car's going to hit the recovery vehicle. What happened? You hit the recovery vehicle. We've had people in the pit lane get hit by tyres before. There's a video, you can go find it on the internet, it's not difficult to find. There is a video of a F1 cameraman getting hit by a tyre that came off, I think one of the Red Bulls, way back when, maybe 2013, 2012, around that time. Because the rear, the, 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 because the rim wasn't properly attached to the hub and it bounced off and hit this guy while he was traveling down the pit lane. We've had dangerous situations in the pit lane before. Everyone should know that pit lane is a dangerous place. And that, to me, like, to me, just build a bridge. Build a bridge that goes from the side of the track over to the pit lane so that none of them have to cross the track in the first place. It is an active racetrack. Any driver is allowed to, cr to enter the pit lane on the last lap. Unless I believe it's Silverstone because Schumacher did that and it got banned. Well, yeah, like you say, you could have some kind of temporary structure there, couldn't you? Like a temporary scaffolding bridge or something. But equally, you could just wait. I mean, loads of the drivers were saying afterwards, there's plenty of time once the cars have crossed the line to then cross the pit lane and, and get ready for photos and get ready for the podium. The drivers have still got to do their in-lap. They've then got to pull up and park firmly or pull up to the one, two and three positions. 
there's time to get ready for that side of things. You know, getting there an extra couple of minutes early is not worth your life. Yeah, and if there isn't, if it's determined that there isn't enough time, manufacture more time. Make it mandatory that drivers do two in-laps on the way in. Teams will add a little bit extra fuel and they'll be able to do the extra in-lap. No problem. Or how about instead of all the cars coming into the pit lane at the end of the race, all of them... So let's say at, um, from the last lap of the race, the pit lane is closed, and instead of queuing up in Park Fermi in the pit lane, why doesn't every car stop on the grid in their grid box in the order that they finish the race? Yeah, I mean, that would look that's awesome. a perfect idea. Yeah, why not? You'd get the the fans in the grandstand would get to see all the cars lined up again at the end of the race and the drivers getting out. You could still have your little one, two, three podiums, but every driver knows where the grid boxes are. All the grid boxes have little signs next to them to say which driver it is and which box number it is, so the drivers will be able to find it easily. Perfect. What what a mm. fun opportunity to have all the grid behind you as you've as you've won your race. You could even then still have your like if you want to wheel the winning car off and take it somewhere else after they're all out, no problem. You do that. There's ways you can get through. But you don't need to do it as soon as it's finished. So funny enough, our main topic of conversation for the race that's just happened was safety and what happened in the pit lane at the end. And loads of people were saying it was the most eventful thing that happened which doesn't say a lot for what the rest of the race was like. But it does lead into our main topic for the episode, which is about street circuits in general, whether they're entertaining to watch, whether they work. And I shall curb my anger on safety for now um, and move it straight on to street circuits because um, I'm not a fan of street circuits. I have given them a fair shot, in my opinion. I really am just not that much of a fan you know there's what did we work it out as i think it was seven was on the calendar of the year out of 23 to me that's one or two well that's three or four too many um i i just don't find them interesting i don't find any of the racing to be particularly good and i think we've we've essentially been saved some horrific street races um but we've added a couple onto the calendar now like my opinion on Miami and Vegas, we'll talk about Miami later, but for now I'll stick with Vegas. The track map, to me, is the most boring thing I've possibly ever seen. I think it's going to be a race that people enjoy for two years. In fact, I think it's only got a three-year contract, because I think even F1 is worried it's going to be boring. And then they're going to move on somewhere else, and that slot will get taken, and it'll just have been a huge waste of money. It's just... I don't see the point in it. It's not going to be fun. It's it's not pushing drivers to the limit. To me, I don't find street circuits interesting because it's taken F1 to the people and given them a reduced version of F1 rather than making the people come to F1 and experience a proper circuit. I think that's a really good way to sum it up, to be fair. My opinion differs a little bit to yours, but largely I agree. I'm not a fan of Uh, street circuits generally I don't like the way that F1 is going and leaning more towards adding these street circuits I mean there's been different ideas floated about various American street circuits there's been mentions which could just be Chinese whispers about a London street circuit for me it's a big no solid no 
But as for the existing ones, I am a bit 50-50. So I really like Singapore. I quite like Baku, although the last couple of races we've had there have been a bit predictable. But we've also had some really good races there, like in 2021. I do quite like Abu Dhabi. I think that can be a good one. And then with races like Monaco, I appreciate them because I think it's a different type of challenge for the drivers. It's about precision and accuracy and stamina to keep putting in these super precise laps over and over again. So they're not really about the overtaking. They're kind of about just the skill. Um, But I appreciate that doesn't make for great viewing. Maybe it's more entertaining for the drivers than it is for us. But I think maybe a track like Monaco has a place on the map has a place on the calendar but then there's other circuits so i really really hate miami and Jeddah. i just find them so boring and there's just no life in them at all that's exactly what vegas looks like to me it's going to be the same i also think that they tried to introduce vietnam which we laugh about because it never actually ended up on the calendar but it was on one of the f1 games and me and andrew absolutely despised it it was a terrible layout it was basically just foot flaps on the floor for half of the lap but not in a good way and yeah i just don't know that the way we're going with looking at adding more street circuits is correct for f1 yeah, I agree. I, I really don't want any more on the calendar. Um, you mentioned about the idea of having a one in London. To me, that's the ultimate expression of take F1 to the people and give them the reduced version because Silverstone exists. Why would you want to race in London in a world where Silverstone exists? What a racetrack to go to. What an experience instead of having to go into London. You know, I am British. I have been into London. It is a nightmare to navigate around at the best of times. Public transit is your best option, but my God, is it still busy getting around. You want to add a Formula One race on top of that? You No, no it will not work. That city will shut down. I don't see the point. But go to Silverstone. There's grandstands for everyone. There's places to see, you know. There's fantastic, famous, internationally recognised corners there that result in a fantastic experience for everyone. There's a reason why Silverstone's been on the calendar for so long. Why weaken it with something like London? It it just doesn't make any sense to me. I've always thought that street circuits were built in cities where they wanted an F1 race, but they didn't want to commit the money to building a new track. Yeah, I can see your point. I completely agree with the concept of the Silverstone versus a London Grand Prix. I would take issue with anyone who said that they would prefer a street circuit over one of the absolute classics like Silverstone or Spa which is a whole other topic because there's some talk of removing Spa from the F1 calendar and having it you know replaced with these street circuits which to me is just a dire idea I can't imagine losing Spa for something like Miami or Vegas and it, to me, it's the entire problem that I have with Formula E. It's a different series here, but the reason why I can't get into Formula E is because the tracks are so hard for me to recognise from each other because they're all street circuits apart from, I think, Mexico. I find it really hard to differentiate them and remember the corners because there's nothing different about them. They're all just the same. Circuits all have their own unique 
wonderful things about them. You know, Silverstone is built on an old airfield. Spa is through the middle of a forest. You know, it's, it, it just baffles my mind that F1 thinks that more street circuits is the answer. And I guess it's because they can just command the money for it. Whereas normal circuits have a harder time paying the ridiculous race fees that they have to pay at the minute because they have a circuit to maintain all year round, not just for a week in the summer. Yeah, it's a sad thing to see because you just can't replace the kind of character in tracks like Silverstone. I just don't know where they're going with it because it doesn't make for entertaining racing either. And if we are, if our whole argument is that F1's putting spectacle first, they're not a spectacle. They're, they're just a bit dry to watch. Again, I will yeah. return to the fact that I do think there's a place for some street circuits on the calendar. But some of the ones we're seeing get added and the plans and the concepts, they just don't have it. I would give you, street circuit-wise, Australia, because it's designed as a circuit and doesn't really feel like a street circuit. I would give you Monaco at a push because it's so historic. I feel like it it isn't... It, uh, that, to me, Monaco should be what Vegas and Miami are trying to be. And I'll admit Formula 1 can have one of those races. And I'd give you Singapore because we do get good racing at Singapore. Rest of them, it doesn't really do anything for me. So no Baku? Not really. I'd... Uh, I bet you I could find a racetrack in the world I'd rather go to. I'd rather go back to Mugello that we went to in 2020 than go back to, or even Portimao. I loved Portimao in Portugal, but it's gone and we've got back here instead. I have to agree, actually. I do really, really like Portimao. So, you know, I can I can see your point. I think there probably is tracks, there probably are tracks that I would prefer to see. But, yeah, overall, I think there's a space for them. I think too many now and if we're looking at even more then it's just going to get worse um it does suck the energy out of when you've got a few races in a row as well like we obviously just had Baku and that was a bit flat and then now we've got Miami which I'm predicting is going to be a bit flat I just yeah I would rather see race circuits with character and that we've that have got a bit of history to them or at least have been built with F1 in mind. One of my main issues with street circuits is that the cars are so big that there's no real hope for overtakes and action. Even if they do get close to each other, are they going to go into a corner together when they can't fit side by side? And this is my final overarching point on street circuits, is safety. I don't think there's any way you can argue that a street circuit is as safe or safer than a purpose-built race circuit because they, the, the whole point of them is that you are racing within restrictions of streets, right? You have buildings, you, you physically have to put barriers there. You can't tell me that's safer than as much as I didn't enjoy it the French Grand Prix, or Silverstone, or Monza, or Spa, all of which have runoff, and have grass, and have gravel traps, at least something that 
separates the car from the barrier. You can't tell me it's safer just to go straight into a barrier. And you've got tracks like Jeddah. They've moved those barriers back, I'm pretty sure, every year that we've been there. Because the drivers keep saying, this doesn't feel safe. And Jeddah's whole thing is, look at how fast we can be. Look at how fast we can make these cars go zipping through street circuits, like, you know, city streets. But there's no runoff. Me and Beth, we've both played this this circuit a fair bit in the game. You, there's no runoff area. There's, there is any, there's nothing. It's just walls. I, I don't understand how you can, you can compare that to a normal circuit and, and want to send drivers there. Essentially, you're bargaining that... Um, by going to a street circuit, there'll be more action because there's going to be a crash, but that crash had better not harm anyone. To me, that's just a really risky game to play. Okay, so I actually have a few points on this. I think that's really interesting because you're right, they don't have the runoff, they don't have the gravel traps, but arguably you could say some of the most spectacular crashes we've seen, at least in recent history of F1 have not been street circuits. Like we had the Zhou Guanyu crash at Silverstone last year. We've had horrific crashes in Spa in F2 with Correa and Hubert. And we've also, whenever I can think of some big moments, it's not been because the walls are too close necessarily. It's been because of speed and losing it in a corner or something. So can you say that they are the most dangerous tracks on the calendar when they've not got that history of bad crashes? My counter-argument to that is imagine Joe's crash in Silverstone. He flipped upside down on the main straight and the roll hoop dug into the tarmac, which then went through a gravel trap and a tyre barrier before resting between the tyre barrier and the wall. Imagine... A scenario where that same crash happened at the same speed but there wasn't a gravel trap or extended area of tarmac and a tyre barrier to slow him down before he hit the fence and he just hit the wall which is what would happen at a street circuit. I can 100% see your point it's just interesting how those big crashes don't seem to happen at street circuits it seems to be the kind of classic if you like circuits which potentially is because drivers realise that if they go off, they're not going to hit a wall, so they might take a bit more risk. But I think in the event that a major crash does happen, I'd rather it happened on a normal track. Even like normal tracks have medical facilities in the track. Mm. I, don't, I don't know what the deal is with street circuits. I bet you it's a local hospital and not just a full-on centre, medic centre. It's, yeah, I guess we'd have to look into that. I'm not entirely sure, but I was, I do remember being very nervous when Verstappen's tyre blew out in Baku in 21 because that looked sketchy for a moment because he was going so fast. I know we mentioned this in the last podcast, but he was obviously going at crazy speeds and there was just walls on either side of him and it could have been very messy. Yeah, I, I just don't think that we... Okay, I, I think there is a place for some street circuits. I don't want to see any more of them because there are other actual racetracks in the world that I'd love to see more. 
For me, I was I was just so disappointed when I saw that Miami and Vegas were coming on the calendar because there's just other F1 tracks that I would rather have seen. And I understand it's just split it between the East and West Coast, but I just think three races in the US is quite a lot, um, especially when there's so many races within the sort of Americas anyway. Um, but there's so many other actual permanent tracks I would rather have seen F1 go to. I'd have loved to have seen F1 go to Road America. And I would have loved to have seen F1 go back to the proper indie road circuit. It's a fantastic track, you know. I know F1 has a bad reputation in America at Indy after the race where something like six cars started in 2005, six, whatever it was. But F1's in a stage now where it probably could fill Indy. You know, I just think those tracks are or would have been a better experience for fans, but... If fans like the street tracks and they keep going to them, they'll keep adding them. So maybe I don't know what I'm on about and I don't know anything. Um, but for me, on my, put it this way, on my bucket list of F1 races to go to, every single one of the street races is the last ones on the well, list. We've said our piece on the street circuits, but we have another street circuit coming up this week, and that's Miami. And like you say, it's got its place on the calendar now. It's got a 10-year contract deal. So we are going to be seeing it over and over again, whether you like it or not. Um, and for me, last year, it was just a very dull, uneventful race. And what you were just saying about give the fans more by bringing them to a proper circuit rather than a street circuit, it makes me wonder in a way, are these street circuits for F1 fans? Are they for F1 fans or are they to hype F1 up? And to make it an event and are they targeted to influence a culture i yeah i think you're absolutely right i think it is influencer culture i think i think the track is it's built around what they could that's the nature of street circuits it's they've, they've built what they could with what they had available to them the problem is what they had available to them last year made a pretty boring race it was you know i think the worst bit for me is the little left-right chicane at um, turn 14 and 15, which basically goes onto the main back straight, but means that you've, you force cars to go single file before you then put them on the straight. And so there's no real chance for people to overtake there because you've just backed them all up into a straight line. There's no attacking anyone. So it, it just doesn't work for me. I, yeah, I don't really, I don't have a hatred for it. It might develop over time. It's not my least favourite race on the calendar, but it is by no far means my favourite track. It's To me, I think this weekend is just going to be 57 laps of procession. So I've just been thinking about what we've been saying about street circuits and compared to traditional circuits. And it's actually like there's two kind of ideologies to approaching building an F1 track. And what you're saying about Miami not being done very well, it's because it's been built around something else. So it's been built around the Hard Rock Stadium. It's been built for that type of spectacle. Whereas the flip side is to build a track around F1 cars and make it for the cars, make it for the racing and build it with racing in mind, not build it with an event in mind and with a spectacle in mind. Which, to me, is exactly what the Circuit of the Americas is. The Circuit of the Americas in Texas is 
just a collection of some of the best corners or influenced by the best corners from the best racetracks around the world. And all of them stitched together are a great race. Whereas, you're right, you know, Miami is built around some... It's built around an immovable object. You can't build a track where there's a building in the way. Yeah, I think I'm just not convinced by the way that we're going about it and the way that F1 is going about it. I think you're right that Circuit of the Americas is incredible. I absolutely love that race. It's so good. And why can't we... Why can't F1 approach the American market like that? Because they're clearly trying to appeal to the American market. But I think they're just coming across as very gimmicky in the process because, like, at Miami last year, we had, like, football helmets on the podium instead of caps and just weird little gimmicks like this and building a track around the Hard Rock Stadium and building a track in Las Vegas on the Strip. And it's all just for the look and to look cool. And But if you want to get... The racing fans in America, what you need to do is build racetracks, not gimmicks. So I think the only way, and I've thought about this basically for a couple of years now, I think the only way that street circuits will survive, especially in somewhere like America where there's where there's two street circuits and three tracks in the same country, I think they're gonna have to share spaces on the on the on the calendar, so I can foresee something happening with the calendar where they want to add in four more races, but they've got three races in America every year. So to me, it would make sense to keep that hype going and keep it consistently, you know, keep people wanting it, but still have access to a race in the US if they want it. I would say Cota should be on there every year, Circuit of the Americas, perfect track. It was there beforehand, it deserves its spot regardless. As street circuits, Miami and Vegas should alternate years to make sure that this, the, the race is still there and you're still covering each coast fairly, but you, I don't think you necessarily need both of them in the same year. just mm. dilutes the US appeal because you're there yeah, so often I during the year now. Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. I think it's quite a tense topic sometimes, the Americanization of F1, because there's two sides to it. There's one... Just to be clear, I absolutely do not have a problem with American races because F1 is a world championship. So by all means, race all around the world. But also on the flip side of that, we're getting more and more American races. How many races do we need in America? And could they be better shared out in other countries? There's there's arguments to have a race in Africa and make it a true world championship by going everywhere. Obviously, America is a huge continent, but why the street circuit focus and why not just have a couple of incredible racetracks there and then race elsewhere in the world where we've already got, like you said earlier, existing incredible racetracks that we should be visiting and using and putting to good use. And I think you have sort of hit the nail on the head there again. When you look at the new tracks that F1 has added over the last couple of years, it tends to be where there's quite a lot of money. We don't have a race in Africa, but we've got one in Qatar. It's another one in the Middle East. Was that decision made because it's a better racetrack or because someone made a bigger bid? I don't know the answer. I don't think it's any secret um, what goes on here with cash in F1 and 
it's a cliche, isn't it? But what is it? They all say cash is king and all this, but it clearly is in F1. And in some respect in any sport, but it's just a bit soul-destroying because the character of some F1 tracks versus these rubbishy pop-up tracks that we're moving towards, it just it's just a shame. Yeah, I mean, I think um, hardcore F1 fans will tolerate street races as long as they don't become dominant, as long as we still get the Spas and Mon- uh, Monzas and Silverstones on the calendar, that will keep the hardcore fans happy as long as you don't remove those to put a new street circuit in or a circuit somewhere that no one's ever heard of and doesn't care about. I think F1 forgets sometimes that it's it's not just about the country that it's in, it's about the emotions that people have towards that. It's the same to me as if you took, say, like, um, if you took Williams and just removed the Williams name and turned it into some other company or another family's name, it, it would upset fans because they have such an emotional attachment to the name, to the place, to the things they've seen there over the years. You can't build that history over 60 years and then just... Yeah, I do agree, but also I think it's interesting what you say about diehard F1 fans will put up with the street circuits, which might be the case. But if diehard F1 fans are just putting up with it and not enjoying it, I also don't think it's that appealing to new fans either. I'm not a brand new fan, but compared to you, Andrew, I've not been watching F1 that long. And if, say, Miami 2022 was the first race I'd ever watched in F1, I don't think I'd have come back to it. It was just so boring and I just don't get the appeal of it. So what fan base or what kind of demographic are they appealing to with these street circuits? If it's not new fans and it's not existing fans, who is it? And that goes back to the point of, is it even F1 fans that they're trying to appeal to or is it just the public in general? Are they just trying to make an event? Well, this is my other thing as well. F1, I'd say for, well, probably the last 20 years, has sort of been, especially in Europe, the undisputed head of racing. It is unbeaten, unmatched. Its prowess stretches far more than any other series. I think F1 really needs to be careful and keep one eye over its shoulder at the moment. Um, Formula E keeps getting bigger and bigger and the World Endurance Championship is now in a, uh, what I would call a brand new golden era with a type of car programme that has more manufacturers than F1 has queuing out the door to be part of it. Um, I think it, F1 does risk sometimes if it starts to alienate those hardcore fans for, for such a long time, there wasn't anywhere else for them to go, so they put up with whatever was happening because there wasn't anywhere else for them. I think in the next couple of years, there's going to be more and more and more options for people that just are getting fed up with what F1's feeding them and saying, you know what, I'm going to go watch something else because the chances are the tickets are going to be cheaper, some of the races are longer or more accessible to them, and they're going to have more fun watching it. They're going to understand it all. I think it's a fair bet to say 
that neither of us are that buzzed for Miami this weekend. But taking out of the <laughs> equation that it's a street circuit and both of us clearly aren't huge fans of those either, how do you see the weekend playing out? Um, it's another sort of odd track, isn't it, where because of the nature of street circuits, they tend to have quite a few slower speed corners than what you imagine on a normal track. And so that will probably play a bit more into Ferrari's hands. But I did think it was interesting that Alonso this weekend, after Baku, said that um, what was a pretty poor weekend for Aston Martin equals a fantastic weekend for Ferrari. And so I'm pretty sure by next weekend, Aston Martin will have got over whatever problems they had this weekend in Baku and will probably be back up as the third best team. Um, I think the problem is there is also quite a lot of straights and that straight down the back of Miami at the start of Sector 3, um, I think the Red Bulls, again, we've seen that all year so far, they will win. The question is which one? Perez does seem to have a bit of an affinity for street circuits, as we saw this weekend. But Max won it last year, so did Max win it last year? Max did win it last year. Leclerc qualified on pole, but Verstappen won. There we go. I knew. I thought it was a split. I couldn't remember which way around it was. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think chances are it's going to be the two Red Bulls going again. What I actually think is super interesting, and I hadn't really noticed it until I was putting together the table for um, the points for the the season so far. Perez is on 87 points, Verstappen is on 93, but both of them have two wins. The only difference, Max Verstappen has four podiums, Sergio Perez has three. So a lot closer than we've seen those two for, well, basically the entire time they've been teammates. I think they are the championship battle, aren't they? Whether that will last very long, I'm not entirely sure because I think Verstappen is the better driver. I'm going to predict that he'll come out on top. But then Perez does put in these incredible performances, especially in street circuits. Um, How well does he do in Baku? And he's got a really good track record on street circuits. So maybe he'll qualify well this time around. Obviously, track position is quite important in Miami. So... If he has a good quality, he could be on for a good race. I, I think it's interesting that for Perez, the only race um, that he hasn't won out of all of his wins so far, the only one that he hasn't won on his street circuit was um, the Sakia Grand Prix, which was on a track and a different layout with less grip than normal because it wasn't used as a normal racetrack. More like a street circuit. So he definitely has an affinity for this kind of track. So we'll have to see. Hopefully he can keep that fight with Verstappen and Verstappen doesn't just disappear off into the distance. Um, You'd have to see as well, Verstappen has been somewhat unlucky so far this season to have had issues that prevented him from being able to fight Perez as much as he perhaps would have wanted to. But you can't take that away from Perez because you've got to capitalise when you get the chance. So... I, it definitely, for me, unless there's some sort of mechanical or on-track clash between the two Red Bulls, it's sort of going to be between who's best of the rest. And what I find interesting is best of the rest used to mean behind the top three teams. Now I think it means who's behind Red Bull. I guess you could argue that was the case in Mercedes' dominance era as well. But yeah, it's 
a recurring theme now. We're only three podcasts in, but every single one we've said who's going to come second after Red Bull, what's going to be going on in the midfield, which the midfield now just feels like second, like third place downwards. So, yeah, it was it, it was fun to see kind of Alonso in Baku. He probably brought the most entertainment factor for me on the track. I thought his overtake on science was incredible. There's obviously some really good pace and he's got a lot of trust in that Aston Martin. So whether that will translate into another good race this weekend, I think it will, personally. don't know about you. I think Stroll's due a good result as well. He's, he's due a podium. Um, Alonso's had a couple so far, and I, I think... Well, how many has he had so far? Alonso has had three podiums so far. I think that... Um, it's time for Stroll to sort of flex his muscles a little bit and get it out there. Agreed. They are a very good uh, team, in fairness. Saw that in the last race when they were working together on the radio. Alonso even offered some tips on his car setup, which I thought was really telling. They obviously do work well together and have respect for each other. But yeah, you're right. Stroll hasn't quite put it together yet to get a podium. He did obviously have a bit of a rough start to the season with his injuries and his wrist and soldiered through that to still bring home some really, really good results. But yeah, you'd have to say that it's coming for him and really he should be capable of getting a podium given that car's pace. I'll tell you what, I do have a question. I'm just looking at the points here and Aston Martin in second is 93 points behind Red Bull. At what point, and I can't believe I'm talking about this five races into the season, at what point do the rest of the team say, uh, this isn't worth it anymore, um, let's forget about this year's car and focus on next year? Because if I was a team like Williams, like Alfa Tari, like Alfa Romeo, maybe even into the Haas, and yeah, probably into the Haas area, I'd be starting to say, look, are we actually going to make any worthwhile upgrades this year or do we just dump all that money in the next year's car and pray you for know, the best? You know, that's actually a really good question. When you started to say that then, I was pulling a face. I was thinking, well, God, we're not even five races into the season. We've not had the fifth race yet. But then you actually look at the points and the outlook and the pace of the Red Bull and its straight line speed. I think you're right. I think I be looking at next year's development now even if I was Mercedes Aston Martin I mean I think Aston are quite realistic they are second and that team are saying we're doing a lot better than we thought we would be we're still focusing on the future and looking to the future for our constructors championship wins so they aren't expecting to challenge this year and they're second place. So why would anyone below them be expecting to challenge this year? So yeah, surely the, the focus must start to switch. So my thought is with Aston Martin, they've beaten a lot of the lower teams to the to the punchline because they changed their concept of car midway through last year rather than ready for this year. So because they caught on early. So I think Aston Martin are sitting pretty going, look, we're ahead of where we thought we'd be anyway. We've already got the right concept that we we know works on the Red Bull. We're just going to keep developing this now. This car will just become next year's car and keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And then I think the problem starts to hit for the Mercedes-Ferrari guys. I think Mercedes are basically waiting to see what these new Imola upgrades are like. 
if that brings a shed load of performance to the car, then they'll go, actually, we're on the same boat as Aston Martin, we can keep rolling it and rolling it. Ferrari had a concept that was at least equal to Red Bull last year, can they pull that back? But from the McLaren downwards, I'd be starting to say, maybe we didn't get the whole concept right, and I don't think we're going to have any chance of, of rolling it through the next year, so do we just abandon this car and start again? Or is this car actually useful for the development of next year's car? How many of those cars on the grid are going to look completely different next year? Obviously, their final finishing position is still going to be important because it'll impact their prize money, presumably. But, yeah, the focus must surely be on next year for teams like McLaren. I think they realise that they've well and truly messed up this year. But I'm just thinking now about how soul-destroying it must be to have completed race four and to be thinking oh well let's just look at next year that must be brutal for the drivers and the teams yeah it must be hard to come into work and go god we spent all winter working on this new car and i was so convinced it was going to work we put all these trick bits on it and yeah we 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 were, were seventh eighth ninth tenth it must be you difficult. have some version of that every year, though, don't you? There's always got to be a team in 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th. It's more just the actual gap, I think. Even if, if you were yeah. maybe 5th or below last year or even the year before, you've kind of got the thing of, right, well, new era, we can switch things up and there's a chance we can make huge gains quite quickly in the next couple of years. But if you're a team like McLaren now with 14 points after four races versus Red Bull with 180, they're realistically not looking at winning a championship in the imminent future. Yeah, for me, it must be difficult. It must be easier if you're in fifth place and you're only, I don't know, 30 points behind first place. Not... 160 points behind first place five races in. That is absolutely brutal. Yeah, that's brutal. It's a much much worse and and maybe that'll change throughout the year but I'm not I don't really see it that much. Um, I I think sort of Ferrari downwards. I mean you can see the gap already. McLaren is on 14 points. Ferrari is on 62. Mm. And they're next to each other in the championship. It's a pretty big gulf. I mean, from 6th down to 10th, the gap's pretty close. 8 points, 7 points, 6 points, 2 points, 1 point. That's all to play for, really. But those cars seem to be the same speed anyway. It's just that gap, I think, between McLaren and Ferrari should really sting when when they look at it. A lot of the teams brought upgrades to Baku. I don't know whether there'll be many upgrades in Miami, if we'll see much of a shift in the order. Ferrari's clearly capable of very good one-lap pace, but unfortunately then just gets obliterated as soon as the actual race begins. But we'll have to see whether Leclerc or Sainz can pull out an incredible lap and do well in quali. I personally am going to predict that it's going to be another Verstappen-Perez 1-2. not sure which order that'll be in quali. And then I think it'll be, as you've said, a bit of a procession for first and second. And then up for grabs, really. I'm not I'm not 100% sure I could bet on who would be in third, whether it's going to be an Aston Martin, a Mercedes or a Ferrari. 
I'm going to go and say that it's going to be, as much as I'd like it to be Stroll, I think it's going to be George Russell. Okay. Third. That's interesting. I didn't think you'd say that. Yeah, just just felt like saying something different for once, just throwing it out there. I think he's going to have a good weekend. He's due a good weekend, I think. Yeah, he drives the wheels off the car, doesn't he? And he is consistently putting it in good places. So, yeah, could be. Could be on for a third place. Well, as you can see, it's definitely all to play for this weekend as we watch Miami. Um, hopefully, me and Beth will be proved wrong and it'll be an absolute barnstormer of a race and we'll come back and... Hold our heads high and say, yep, we were wrong and um, we'll we'll never, never say anything bad about street tracks again. But once again, I just want to say thank you for listening to the latest episode of Track Chat. We're really starting to get into the flow now with this five races across six weeks. So there'll be plenty more to come from us over the next couple of weekends. So if you want to keep up to date with our latest ramblings and crazy ideas... Make sure to follow us on social media. We do try to tweet as much as we can over race weekends. Uh, obviously, we do also have other things to do as well because we also have work, but we, we do what we can. Um, but we try and tweet to try and keep you involved in our wonderful world of Formula One. So you can follow us on track underscore chat on Instagram or at track chat tweets on Twitter.